All right, let's start. We have some hard work to do, a little bit of time to do it, and we can start with Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39. Jesus utters a famous prayer. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. I've often wondered if there was a pause there. Because if there was, I believe that if Jesus had asked God to say, it's a bad idea, let's just stop it, God would have stopped it. But Jesus went on to say, nevertheless, yet not as I will. You can almost hear the entire universe letting out a collected, holded breath, a held breath. Just that, he's really going to do it. He's in. It was a hard thing, but we know the story. The cup was not taken from him. Cup, it was just a very Semitic way, still is, of saying the task, the suffering, the pain that I'm about to face. And we know the evil story. Evil men stormed up in an unlawful mob up a hill and would arrest Jesus and drag him down where he would face the death he had dreaded. For so long even though he prayed that he would not face it he did and it went on and on for more than a day of trials and beatings and humiliation why wasn't it answered and don't do the cop-out we did we, t- we covered this last week don't do that cop-out of oh it was answered it was just answered no you know what I'm saying so let's not let's look at it right in the face. I don't think we're doing ourselves any favors when we don't do that. We, we act like we're living in a land where we really don't believe in that land. If you don't look at this in its face, did Jesus lack faith? I think everybody here would say no. Was he not in a right, right relationship with God? I've heard that one said about us as well. No, he was, he was fine. Is God uncaring and just not that interested in Jesus? Who would say yes to that? Well, was it greed? Or was it a power play that Jesus was praying for? Any of those things we said last week out of James chapter 1? No. No, it wasn't. But before we even try to answer this, let's take a look at a different story. Jesus and the apostles are in a boat headed across the Sea of Galilee when a great storm comes up. This is a common theme in Jesus's life. They are in immediate and serious uh, threat, danger of drowning. I've had, um, I've had people before when we've invited them to go on a cruise with us, they're like, and they'll say, no, no, I can't swim. And I'm going, it's not mandatory. Uh, we, we, there's not a test. And they'll say, well, what happens if the cruise ship goes down? It doesn't matter if you can swim. It, it's going to be hundreds of miles and critters will eat you so come along it'll it'll be fun it'll be fun don't let fear run your life but anyway they are in serious danger of drowning they even wake Jesus up and say teacher don't you even care that we are drowning don't you care if we drown have a good look at that don't let that slide get away from you don't you care have you ever said that to God Oh, I have. Have you ever gone to, straight to the throne of God? Because we're allowed to. 
we're told we can go boldly before the, the throne of God. Have you ever gone before the throne of God and challenged God saying, do you care or not? Which is it? Am I just wasting my time here? If you're very, very uncomfortable, I want you to understand that I get that. We seem to think that we must approach God with kid gloves and never, 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 never reveal anything about our angst or fear to him. That's not the way the universe works. And that's not the way being a father works. The children need to voice their fear. They need to be able to talk to the father. Everybody has times in their life where terrible storms come against them. Relatives can fall prey to strange behavior. The uh, dementia, as in our family, can strike. And I, I have almost a second job now, you know, taking care of my father. And we're told that we have to move him to a different facility now. He is degraded to that point and become difficult. So once again this week, I'll have to, to do that. But again, it's a have to, it's a job, it's a, it's a blend. All of that wrapped together, but it's a storm. Relatives uh, get sick and die. Newspapers paint a picture of doom everywhere because that gets you tuning into the next newspaper. Rumors swirl around you and your job and the next thing you know, there's a storm front. And sometimes you can see the storms coming. Sometimes you can't. Remember the first time I took Cammie to visit Scotland? I told her on the first date, if it goes anywhere, uh, this dating thing goes anywhere, you'll be living in Scotland. She just smiled prettily and didn't mace me, so I knew she was the one. Well, shortly after we were married, I took her to Scotland for the first visit, and we, were, we had gone somewhere and on the train, and, we're getting, and then we were going to get off and just walk back to the house where we were staying, and as we got off the train and walked, I looked up, and I saw the sky, and I said, we need to hurry, and she looked up and saw the sky, and she said, why? I said, we've got about 15 minutes. Well, we couldn't make it to the house, but we made it to a bus shelter, and we got in the bus shelter, and sleet and snow and howling wind pounded at us for five or ten minutes and passed on. You're on an island between the Irish Sea and the North Sea. Weather happens, it's nice to see it coming. But there are other times you've not seen it coming. There are other times it catches us unaware. And we pray, oh how we pray. But it only seems to get worse. And so we, we think if we never actually articulate, if we never actually say it, we think, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? Well, let's go back to that boat. And notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't warn the apostles ahead of time that a storm's coming. I find that interesting. A bit troubling. He just goes to sleep. He's God. Now, how much he was man and God at, at any particular time, we understand that none of these mysteries are revealed to us. But... I still think he, could, he, he knew a storm was coming. And he went to sleep anyway. Didn't warn us. When a storm hits, they were not at all confident of their safety. But he was. Know this. The reason God seems to be asleep or silent is because he does not share your panic. He's God. He knows the end of the story. You and I are terrified. We don't know the end of the story. My wife called me once when we were living in West Virginia, and if you've never been there, it's quite bumpy. So anytime anybody learns how to ride a bicycle, any child, they end up with a scar right there. It's, it's, it's required. My wife called me. She said, I think Duncan might need stitches. And I can hear him. He's like five years old, and I can hear him in the back, no, I don't, because by this time he's a medical professional. 
my wife, and I said, better bring him down to the office, let me have a look. And I pulled the, the, uh, the, uh, the washcloth away from his face and down here, and I went, ah, that stitches. Oh, no, and so we go to the hospital. Well, Duncan uh, goes in, they send in a, a PA, a physician's assistant, and he says, now we're going to have to give you a couple of shots around here to numb it, and then we're going to put some stitches in it. And Duncan looked at, uh, looked at him, he says, is this going to hurt? And the, the PA said, no, 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 it's not going to hurt. And I just kind of stepped in between the PA and Duncan. And I looked at him and I said, yes, it is. The PA looked at me like, what? Well, what, what am I doing? I'm raising my children without the benefit of extra lies. Um, <laughs> I said, here's the deal. It'll hurt for a little while, but this will help for a long time. And he said, okay. And I said, now here's what I can do, son. I cannot make this not hurt. But what I can do is I can hold your hand and I can put my other hand over your eyes so you don't have to watch that. Is that what you'd like? And he nodded. And without a whimper, he went through it. He took it because somebody was there who told him the truth and held his hands and covered his eyes so he didn't see it all. Friends, God is covering our eyes. We don't see it all. We don't get it all. He gets it all. He sees the end of the story. We pray that somebody not die, but when they die, they're happier and more at peace and no more than we do. And we've been keeping them from it. And we keep our, our family from it by feeding them healthy foods and making them take vitamins when they can go. No, let's not get crazy. I want you to live long and healthy lives, but this isn't the end of the story. There, we don't know how it'll turn out, so we panic. There are other reasons why we panic. One, we don't know how it's going to feel. Will it hurt? Concentration camp prisoners might know they're going to die and they're going to be in heaven when they die. But their big fear is not the death, but that process of dying. It's the dying that we're afraid of. We want to do it well. We want to do it right. As the, the people in the old days would talk about dying a good death. We, that's, that's left our language now. How, do, how can I handle this well? I would go further and say it's not just death. How do I handle this illness well? How do I handle this loss well? How do I handle uh, a tragedy in my family well? How do I handle aging well? We want to do it well. So we're a little bit afraid. I can remember uh, I wasn't in the car, but I was told by uh, those that were in the car when my oldest sister was um, going into labor with her first child. And they all hopped in their little car and headed toward the hospital. Evidently, my sister, when they almost got there, said, no, I can't do this. Let's go home. <laughs> Sorry, this, this is not optional. We all feel that way about other parts of our life saying, no, I can't do this. But we do. And then the other reason we, we get frightened is that we, we're human. God built into us a fierce determination to survive. I've said it before. If you're standing beside a, a skyscraper, it's about to fall on you, you'll blink and do this. This is not helpful. <laughs> but you have no option. It's not going to be like, well, I raised my hands, but that's not going to work. No, you're, you're, you're not going to have a discussion with phys about physics with the people while you watch them. You're just going to try to protect yourself somehow. Last night, about 4 o'clock, uh, somewhere in Spring Hill, if you were there, you woke up. One clap of thunder, enough to shake the house. And that was it. We're, all, we're awake going, well, the storm's here. Evidently not. 
About an hour later, no more. Hits. But what do you do when you're outside and lightning hits? You do this. Um, it's a bit late. But that, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a fierce determination to survive. We fight and we scrape and we swing for every last minute we can get. That's fine. But Jesus kept his faith in the middle of the storm. He knew it wasn't his time yet. And it wasn't their time yet. And they were afraid, but he was not. When it came his time in the garden, he still had absolute faith in God. And absolute faith in the plan but he was still understandably fearful about how he would bear up during the, the ordeal of the coming day. He was in our clothes. He was in skin. He could not have not been concerned about this because he was in our skin. He was one of us. Mark Twain wrote an, an amazing book years and years ago, which is, most of his stuff is forgotten now, but the man was an amazing talent. He wrote a book called The Prince and the Pauper, where a, a, a poor child looks across and sees the prince, the prince sees him, and they actually look like twins. They're not twins, it's, I'm not spoiling this, but they decide to change places and see how the other one lives. And it's an amazing set. Well, Jesus didn't take us to heaven. He came down and put on our clothes. He went through this with us. I can remember a preacher saying, when I was, um, I was probably just maybe 10 or 12, and he was saying, now Jesus took it all, and he never opened his mouth and never cried out in pain. What? That's not in scripture. He didn't open his mouth to answer his accusers. But I guarantee you, he cried and screamed. Because he was in our clothes. He had no option. And so he was concerned about this. God told us not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. One of the treasures you can start saving right now is faith. Faith for the times when faith is in short supply. David Ramsey has made an awful lot of money by telling you not to spend yours foolishly. I've, and by the way, don't read that as a criticism of him at all. No, no, he, he had an idea and he, he monetized it and, and I'm, I'm glad he did, frankly. I have a good friend who's an elder at the church at Antioch Church of Christ named Steve Diggs and his No Debt, No Sweat program is very similar but amazing. And I, I had lunch with him last week and thanked him for helping. But one of the things Ramsey often likes to say is if you want to eat corn, you have to plant corn. And that idea of you better save up for when the storm hits. Because storms hit. I would say I don't know anything about money because I don't. I don't know a single thing about it. Uh, I know it exists, but that's about it. What I do know is if you want faith, you have to store it in the good times because when you look for it in the bad times, if you did not store it ahead of time, it is not there. Now, how do you do that? Well, a lot of you are journalers. I'm really not, but because I've tried, uh, and, but I was just too inconsistent. If you're a journaler, you're way ahead of the game here because you can write down the answers to your prayers. You can write down the things that gave you faith. You can write down when you felt the presence of God. Put it on paper because one of these days you're going to need that book. And I did do that once in my life. I made an evidence book and it really helped me. There are other ways. 
you can form a community like Fourth Avenue that can help you remember the good things, the reasons to believe, that will walk with you, the pastoral care ministers, all of us, that will sit with you, that will join you in whatever pain or situation you are in. You need to store up your faith. God looks at us and says, let's go for a walk. Our natural tendency is to say, no, walking is dangerous. And it is. If you go for walks, sometimes you might trip. You might slide on the ice. You might fall over a curb. You might stub your toe. You, you might encounter other dangers like bad dogs out there, crazed birds, uh, maybe, maybe evil people or people driving along that are texting. Well, walking is not safe. So what should we do to be safe? Can you imagine how miserable your life would be if being safe was all you thought about? You would never move, never enjoy, never have a, have a good moment. It's not safe. Let's sit and watch television. No, it's got electricity in it. And, and we don't know the chair could break. And I have to eat this food. And oh, no, I, I don't know if I should eat the food. I could choke on it. After a while, taking precautions is ridiculous. And I carried in my wallet uh, a, um, a famous saying by Dr. Beck, a um, cognitive therapist, really the, the founder of uh, cognitive therapy. Uh, and he said, the chief danger in life is that a man might take too many precautions. It's very true. I carried that until I washed my wallet too many times by mistake and it all fell apart. But I remember it now. We can't be safe all the time. Because you see, going walking, that's, that is, that's dangerous. There are viruses. There's genetic time bombs. There's the side effects of medication. But there are huge dangers in not walking. You need to move. Watch and pray. And so we pray. What happens when what happened to Jesus happens to us? It's a difficult uh, sentence. I'm going to say it again. What happens in our hearts when what happened to Jesus happens to us? A prayer that seems to have bounced off of heaven. And we see no answer. We find Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. In the morning, as Jesus returned to the city, he became hungry. When he saw a fig tree by the road, he went up to the tree and found nothing on it but leaves. He said to the tree, may fruit never grow on you again. At once, the fig tree dried up. The disciples were surprised to see this. And they, they asked, how did the fig tree dry up so quickly? Jesus answered, I can guarantee this truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, you will be able to do what I did to the fig tree. You can also say to this mountain, be uprooted thrown into the sea, and it will happen. Have faith that you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Does that mean that if we don't get what we asked for, that we didn't believe enough? Well, that teaching has certainly left a lot of broken and wounded souls in its path. A lot of casualties to that teaching. Others opt out entirely. They just allow their prayer to become lifeless, afraid that if they put God on the spot, he'll fail to deliver, and then what will they do? Does that sound familiar? We even put weasel words in our prayers. We'll say things like, Dear Lord, so-and-so sick. Be with the doctors as they care for them. I keep, why are we praying for the doctors? They seem to be doing all right. You know, they're driving nice cars, seem to be healthy. That's, and then they work at the hospital. Why don't we pray for the person? And then they'll say, I, uh, do you remember this one? The old liturgy prayer. Uh, it wasn't a real liturgy, but it was kind of. Where we'd say, restore them to a measure of health they once held. Do you remember that phrase? That's, that was one of those, well, you know, help them a bit. We're not asking for a lot. 
Therefore, any improvement, we can say, yes, that's it. No, no, no. Get all in. Jesus has a different faith on, uh, spin on this whole thing. If we, if we go with that thinking that's what Jesus was saying, we're going to break ourselves eventually. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, he commends a centurion's faith. And you can look up Matthew 8 later. I don't have a slide for that. Because the centurion's faith was in God's ability to do what the centurion was asking. It was not in the, his just knowledge that God would do, but that he could do it if it was right. That's why Jesus said he had faith. It wasn't faith in that he would do it, but that he could and would if it was right. So, back to the boat. When the apostles saw the wind and the waves, they rebuked Jesus for not caring enough, for not acting appropriately. Jesus said, that's little or no faith. Don't doubt that God cares. Don't doubt that God can. Remember, God knows if he should or what is right. Prayer is more than spiritual lever, lever pulling. Have you ever seen a child act like they're driving a car? What do they do? They crank that wheel like crazy. They are hitting every button out there. Their fingers go everywhere. Windows are going up and down. Have you ever seen the cockpit of an airliner? I've never sat in one, flown one at all. But I know if I sat there and they said, we're going to give you a ride, just watch, I would have to touch a button. It's just what, it's in me, they, especially if it says, do not touch. I'd be going, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, so prepare. Whatever this is going to, prepare them. It is, um, and sometimes we do that with our prayers. We're punching all the buttons, spiritual lever pulling, trying to get something out of God, shaking the machine, hoping a, a candy bar falls out. But faith doesn't mean trying to look harder. It means counting something as true. Faith doesn't mean trying harder. Faith means counting something as true. Mark 9, 27 to 30. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. Notice that they weren't leaving him alone. They kept coming. I like that about them. I like these guys already. Let's go to the, the next bet. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe Look at that, that I am able, not that I will, or that this is your right, or it's automatic, but rather that I am able to do this. They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. Wow. Why was Jesus' prayer unanswered? Well, I talked a while ago. We don't seem to be that interested in his prayers whenever it requires us to act. And we'd best be about the Father's business so that God, God cannot lay that charge before us. But why was Jesus' prayer unanswered? Because God's plan had to take precedence over Jesus' desire. God's plan had to take precedence over Jesus' desire. Jesus was speaking from his human frailty from that fear that we all have, that we will not know what to do, that we will not measure up, that we don't know how to do this. The number one question I asked people for years, 
when I lived in Detroit, no matter where I traveled, uh, around the country or into Canada, I would ask, if you had one question to ask God, what would it be? And I had people write them down, and I collected them, just stacks and stacks of these cards. By far, the majority had the same question. Am I okay? Am I okay? Am I doing all right? I've told my wife I would love it if every so often there were just a sign on the highway that would say things like, those of you going to Memphis are doing just fine. Because you wonder, am I really on the right road? God knew Jesus would do well. God knew Jesus would do very well, indeed, spectacularly well. Jesus did not know that. God did. And God knew that we would still be speaking about how wonderfully Jesus handled all of this 2,000 years later, and Jesus did not know. But God knew that this would impress us so much that we'd come out on a foggy, rainy morning in the middle Tennessee where it's supposed to be warm. Not that I'm complaining, but I am. And we come into a building which is a construction zone and we love on each other and we gather around tables 2,000 years later because Jesus did it right. Jesus didn't know that at the time because he was human. He was in our clothes. So... We pray. I remember when I was going through one of my periods of just anger and questioning and the like, that I uh, got a hold of a theologian friend of mine, and he's still one of my go-to guys. And I went to his office, and I knew where it was because it used to be my office. He had taken the pulpit where I'd been. And I went in and I said, all right, this, this, that, and the other. And he just sat there and nodded, just sat there and nodded. And I asked him, I said, do you pray? And he said, of course I pray. I said, do you expect anything out of your prayer? And it came down to where, you know, I don't expect God to make my life all that wonderful because I'm praying. I said, then why do you pray? And his response to me was beautiful. He said, I pray because Jesus prayed. If he'll pray, I'll pray. Will I always get what I wanted? Jesus didn't. But we are still connected to the Father, we're at least still in discussion, we are at least still talking, and we are still playing a part in shaping the universe and moving it closer to the will of God by talking to the Father. So let us stand and let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As according to your faith, let it be so.